in here this week once again with the free tf uh today we are getting right into it we're not fucking around we're not talking about how michael cohen's a fake friend there are four guys <laughs> in this room which is a good number uh-huh. remember five more than five things get too hot too yeah. sexy you don't want to be in that situation <laughs> no. five guys or less what yeah, the absolutely. fuck have i signed up for here <laughs> we're talking we're talking about business and how like the best type of business meetings are no more than five dudes because any more and it gets too sexy. I have a theory. Why are you taking your shirt off? Because <laughs> <laughs> it's hot. I have a theory that Hussein has decided to not let Twitter be the social media that breaks his brain anymore. He's now looking at LinkedIn a lot. Mm. <laughs> uh, there was this great post. I just want to like say this before we start, right? There was this great post. Are we doing the LinkedIn li- roundup? Uh, yes, this is a new thing now. We're doing the LinkedIn roundup. <laughs> Amazing. This guy, Hold on, are we just introducing weekly segments without telling me? <laughs> there, there was a guy who was on LinkedIn and he wrote about how, oh shit, I posted this in the group, but he wrote, he wrote about how he was working on a slideshow when like someone he knew died. His sister. And just as he was writing about, just as he was writing about like persistence, he realized that that person who died because of like a drug overdose, or something they needed the most. Um, they needed the most uh, resilience of them all. Wow, classic weird LinkedIn. <laughs> it's like the mo- it's like the most criminally underrated social media platform. LinkedIn, and it's like prime for Nazis. Like Jacob Wall's gonna like get himself a LinkedIn account. He's gonna post like inspirational shit about like working in the hipster coffee shop. Yeah, if mm. you if you can't if you can't get someone to and you know what it is. And Jacob Wall is going to say, look, if you don't get people to pay you to tell outrageous lies about Robert Mueller, then you're going to work until you die. Yeah. Yeah. Be innovative. <laughs> be creative. So but before we do any more of this, let's let's introduce everyone here, shall we? I'm Riley. You may remember me from every other previous episode. With me is, of course, Hussein. Hi, it's me. Um, it's your boy. Follow me on LinkedIn. <laughs> Follow Hussein on LinkedIn for more of his wild content. <laughs> we got Alice coming in on the phones. Yeah, what's up? It's your boy. Well, not your boy. (laughs) Why is glitter outside? (laughs) And um, we have John Elledge, returning champion, uh, editor of... Actually, no, you are now... You're no longer just the editor of City Metric. You are now the uh, web editor of The Statesman. Yeah, I am. I now have two jobs, which is this is this is a measure of success in this economy as they just give you another job while, <laughs> while you get to continue doing the old one. So it's it's true. It's like why the t- the key is by the time you die, you should have no less. You know what it is? No, it's by the time you're 35, they say you should have the equivalent of your sa- of your salary twice saved up to buy a house or whatever. You also need to have enough jobs to staff like an 18th century general store, an IT consultancy, a small newspaper. And um, also, you should be freelancing on the side in case someone dies. Yeah, that's about right. But, you know, it, it beats, you know, having enough money and free time and time to think about mortality. Oh, absolutely. And if you want to, here, check out this segue. If you want to have more money and time to think about mortality, you could save money on the number one thing that costs most people the most money in the UK, housing. That's right. We are talking about the Social Market Foundation's absolutely bananas report. Co-living, a solution to the housing crisis? Oh. By the way, you just said, like, you know, we are, that's right, we are talking about as if, like, everyone in the world is crying out to hear what you make of the Social Market <laughs> Foundation's whatever. I mean, there are people we right now. We don't have kind of audiences in the US on I mean, this podcast. 
<laughs> there are some people right now in Venezuela who are trying to take down Maduro, and there are other people in Venezuela who are crying out for analysis about this report. I think the Social Market Foundation is actually implicated in the situation in Kashmir right now. So. <laughs> I mean, this is this was like you know this was definitely one reason why Narendra Modi was like really pissed. He was just like, man, I am so fucked about like millennial Londoners not being able to afford property. I'm just gonna end the world by yeah. by covering it in a giant sheath of di- see innovation right if that happens between when we record this episode and when it comes out this will have felt less important by comparison yeah i mean famously war that is, is going to be the big problem yeah, yeah. <laughs> war is famously as we say not good so no i've got i've got some some quotes here basically there was this report that was talked about in the times about how more or less um childless millennials many of whom are now like what like 36 or whatever like it doesn't mean like people in their 20s anymore but childless millennials should look at something called co-living as a solution to the housing crisis. Long story short, they accidentally invented dormitories. Um, but, you know, we're going to go through it because I actually looked at the report and the report is more insane than the article. So, Scott Korf. That's not a real name. No, fuck off. <laughs> Scott Korf. Uh, Connect with him on LinkedIn. <laughs> <laughs> Very sad. <laughs> Uh, the report's author and the chief economist of the Social Market Foundation, which, by the way, it says it's we're for free markets, at, we're for free and fair markets. It's like, okay, Social Market Foundation. Is Scott Korf the inventor of Korfball? I'm not familiar with Korfball. Korfball is the most European sport. It's a very strange Dutch thing. Google it. <laughs> I'm busy Googling Yeah, Venezuela. Google Venezuela. <laughs> Korf is a weird Dutch sport. Google Venezuela. Bing, Bing Korfball. <laughs> is this like lemon party or something? Yeah, yeah. I've, I've just sort of I've I've set up for this to just traumatize all of the listeners again. Oh no! So Scott Korf, who is a real guy, uh, the report's author said the rise of the sharing economy. So that's like strike one for some absolute moronic nonsense. Is if someone says the rise of social media or the rise of the sharing economy is creating radical new ways of living. With loneliness a growing issue in society, we need to explore the role that housing can play in making it easier for people to interact with one another. Who boy, mm. that is certainly burying the lead. Okay, but this this whole co-living thing has been around for a while. I mean, like it's been around for a while in the context of dodgy finances and think tank is suggesting it's a solution i mean like there is this thing out in old oak common in west london uh by a company called the collective which is a fairly suspicious name in itself which is basically this it's like a student hall of residence for grown-ups and like you get a relatively small room uh and but all the all the like kitchen facilities and like you know entertainment facilities are kind of communal, and some of the bills are covered communally. But instead of like you know living with four housemates, you you live with four hundred housemates. Yeah, it's great. Like everyone who lives in student housing knows of that. It was a great time, and you know, um, you know, you can go back to your old like uni favorites, like downing bottles of white lightning, <laughs> only eating toast for two weeks. Uh having i don't know like the, the pristine state of the kitchens at university is always very good i'm still living like that and i'm 38 yeah <laughs> but now you can live now you can live with it with other people i i remember when i was at uni there was a guy who um one of the one of the one of the more interesting things that he did was he wanted to cook a chicken um so he he was skinning the chicken and he left all the skin on the floor um so he came back into the kitchen and there were like flies everywhere it was great it's really fun I love like do- that's the thing. 
as though anyone wants to live like this. It's, it's like, oh yeah, you can live like this if you miss social interaction. Hang on, or whatever. Don't, don't try and move it on. I want to know more yeah. about the chicken skin. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like that story lacks a punchline. Like, what happened next? Um, well, he was like one of those guys who was just like shutting in his room a lot. So I think there were a couple of people who were trying to like get angry with him, but he just didn't open the door. That's a fantastic so, strategy. Um, <laughs> so he cooked this chicken in this really weird sort of like lemon sauce. Um, and Wait, is he in the independent group? I mean, probably. I don't know. Um, either that or he's definitely joined UKIP. Um, but yeah, he left us. And the thing was, like, in student halls, like, there are people who are, this is what I learned, right? Like, there are people who are very, very resentful and also, like, they are will- they're not willing to capitulate at all. So, like, the housemates that I lived with in this very kind of white university, just like they left the skin because they were like, it's not my responsibility to pick it up. We have cleaning like every two weeks. So for those two weeks, which skin just stayed on the floor because everyone refused to pick it up. That's self-care. Um, That's self-care. Because it's, 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 it's self-care. Um, but they were trying to make some point. But the thing was, this guy just didn't give a fuck. And I think that everyone who's been to, who's lived in uni halls has had this kind of story. Like, unless you've been to Oxbridge, where I assume like you get stuff catered for you and Butlers, everything clean up yeah. um scouts. right um uh yeah we we yeah but the, the what, scouts yeah um the scouts at oxford uh i can't remember where they are at cambridge i should remember this damn we out here doing another oxford episode <laughs> <laughs> why do we keep falling into this why does this keep happening it could to be us? something about the composition of, of us and everyone um, we know but anyway the point the point i was trying to make was that like when I think about student housing, I don't think about how great it was or like all the kind of great communal feel like it wasn't right. It was just like it was a place for like first years who had never got to live with like live on their own before. They had fun for like the first few weeks because they just got like pissed all the time. But, you know, even the people who most enjoyed like living in halls would not say that it was a pleasant experience. There's this thing called the tragedy of the commons, which is like when something is is everyone's problem, it's no one's problem. Mm. So, so this is like one reason a lot of like uh, large housing developments have not, if, if they're not properly maintained, then people just kind of let the communal areas get a crap. Right. Because everyone's like, well, I didn't make that mess. Well, it's, it's, it's your guy, it's your chicken skin guy writ large. Yeah, yeah. And My yeah. chicken guy skin, but it would be like, I don't know, uh, Chris Leslie. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's what if, what, oh my God. Um, but right, what I'm saying is who wants, is that we have now have the exciting opportunity to live like that. Um, well into our 40s, basically. It just The thing that bugs me about this stuff is it just feels like an admission of failure. It's like crumbs from the table. It's like saying, you know, actually solving this problem is too hard. So instead of building enough houses for the number of people that want to live in this town, or instead of like bringing back, you know, social housing as a serious contributor to, to solving this problem, what we're going to do is we're just going to squeeze the people who are not lucky enough to already own some some assets into smaller and smaller spaces and then try and rebrand it as if this is, you know, a cool thing to do. This is about creating community. This is about extending your early 20s until the day you die. It's <laughs> like they're just trying to make it... And it's bullshit. It's like because they're not willing to do any of the the difficult stuff that's actually going to solve this problem. In fact, what what they say is recent years have seen the emergence of small rooms stroke studios in co-living spaces that can be rented in London and other global cities such as New York, San Francisco and Beijing through organizations such as the collective Rome and We Live. And one of the things like I, I always want to point out is everyone's like, oh, yeah, you guys are making fun of because we've made fun of WeWork and we live and this shit a lot. 
But they're like, oh, well, it's just some goofy thing that, like, you know, marketing executives or whatever can get into because they still want to, like, meet people to do coke with in their 30s. You know, but it's but their influ- their existence influences policy because then they inspire reports like this, and then reports like this cross like Sam Jima's desk, and then all of a sudden we're going to have government subsidies for like you know dorms for forty years. I actually think the the report is a is a bigger problem here. Like yeah. you know this kind of that there should be a range of housing options because there are going to be people who are just like you know passing through town for a year or whatever, don't necessarily know anyone. You can see situations in which this makes sense. I did hear this week of some people living in like tiny crappy rooms in Paddington who are fucking loaded and have like massive houses somewhere out in the world to Buckinghamshire. And like when they're in town, they just want somewhere to crash for eight hours and it doesn't matter where they live. So, you know, there are people who need this stuff. What bothers me is when like, People like the Social Market Foundation or, you know, or, or, you know, reporters or someone who should know better actually says, you know, is this a solution to the housing crisis? Because the answer is always fucking no. And incidentally, the name for cleaners at Cambridge is Bedders. Okay. There we go. I was frantically Googling. (laughs) (laughs) It was really going to bug me. But Riley, you mentioned uh, mentioned WeWork and it's just that overlap. It's it's perfect because it's it's a Foucault-like total institution and it's just aged so poorly that it's just why does the communal living space resemble the communal office resemble the it's terrible we're just going back to that if it's Foucault it's all prison Mm. in fact this is something I I wrote down for the conclusion but like let's just say it here these people are always terrified that if you elect like a a slightly left government and I'm talking about like your your Chris Leslie's and so on they sort of like to stoke that fear of, oh, well, if we elect a slightly left government, John McDonald's going to have to decide where everyone lives. And they're all going to have to live the same in tiny boxes, just like the Soviet Union. But they're delighted for people who live like this <laughs> if basically the market forces them to and they also give away free beer. Right. It's like these everyone who supports this kind of thing is constantly going to a timeshare presentation for free golf clubs and then somehow signing a reverse mortgage for the most easily <laughs> scammed people in history. <laughs> But the, the WeWork comparison is actually quite apt because they both, you know, the, the root of both these things kind of lies in the same thing, which is, you know, fundamentally space used to be affordable and now it isn't mm-hmm. because land prices have gone through the roof in, in a lot of it for various reasons. One is like the economy has changed in such a way that like, you know, service economies, it makes sense to have everyone in a very small area in a way it doesn't make sense for manufacturing and so on. Mm-hmm. Another thing is like, you know, interest rates being rock bottom for 10 years. Mm-hmm. Everyone's bought property because it's been the most guaranteed way of making any money. So money is just poured into like owning a square foot of London. So suddenly you can't afford a house or an office. So we're getting these kind of piecework solutions. Well, you know what? Here's the interesting thing. What they're really proposing and the actual, the thing they're proposing to radically change the structure of the property market is that they're not looking at co-living to rent. They're looking at co-living to buy. Who is this aimed at? (laughs) (laughs) So now it's like, like, so is it like a shift between instead of buying a house or a flat, you can buy basically a room. You can buy a dorm room with free beer. Yeah. So, yeah, when I've been like, like I, I am lucky enough to own my own flat. Uh, sorry. Look at um, you, Mr. Fancy. Yeah, no, Look at you, great. Mr. Fancy, who's hey, we don't talk about that on that show. <laughs> but like when I was sort of last buying somewhere. Like you, you look up sort of places, places within the sort of price bracket, and there were loads of these places that are really central. I was like, how can how can I possibly afford something? That, and they looked at it. It's because it's not you're not buying a flat; you're buying a hotel room. Yeah. You can buy a hotel room in a bigger hotel, and you don't literally, you know, it's purely the investment thing. You're effectively just buying a chunk of the equity in the hotel, and this is just like that, but 
permanent. It's like yeah. a timeshare. It's like a timeshare yeah, in your yeah. own city, this right? Is, that's what it is. It's our, our, the housing market in the UK has become so fucked that, the, that now there are serious think tanks like the Social Market Foundation proposing, I don't know, what about timeshares as apparently a serious <laughs> solution? So um, I actually have a list of the problems they're trying to tackle with this. Uh, problem the first, home ownership rates have fallen sharply as a result of high house prices, particularly among the young. And the solution is a timeshare. <laughs> so it feels like there's an obvious solution there that they're, they're not getting into. It feels like they're missing one there. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to go through another couple of the problems. And I, I think I know the one you're going to say, and I don't think it's going to come up. I think we're going to assume that the property market's entirely endogenous and there's nothing like, I don't know, rent controls or whatever, or like building more houses that we could possibly do. Or if we build more houses, it has to be the private sector and it has to be a stupid dorm. Um, Negative impacts on well-being. Data collected by the Office for National Statistics suggests that home ownership is associated with better well-being outcomes. I wonder fucking why. Do they not think there's an instrument? There's some third variable there. I mean, I mean, there's this thing that I'm sure like frames this conversation right, which is about. I mean, some people kind of frame it as an obsession of ownership or owning your property. So like, people who have come up with these reports have said in the past that, and even like places like the Adam Smith Institute, for example. Um, say that oh like owning is not important because renting is great. <laughs> the, the Adam Smith like, Institute said that owning stuff isn't important. <laughs> right. I mean, this is like very bizarre. But even I've I, um you know so I've seen like guys who are at the ASI who have been like oh yeah like renting is great and like if we should change anything it should be to make landlords like more free to like rent you know <laughs> to like not have to like abide by regulation because that would mean that renting becomes less expensive and therefore more fun so everyone who um, currently owns property should all own property and right. everyone who doesn't currently own property should never own property but that's I mean, the even, ASI's basic even like stance. well-meaning liberals kind of say that you know oh ownership isn't important because like look at like mainland europe where lots of people rent and they have like rent controls and security and that's good um what i'm interested in is that like these guys still take the premise of like ownership is the most important thing. And there's an argument for that, like with ownership comes security and like, you know, it means that you don't have to like worry so much about being evicted and you can think about like your kids and all that stuff. Um, but what they're basically saying is that ownership is so important that even if you get like this small sliver, like you should really value that. Yeah. Um, that's, that's... So it's like the idea that like the home is effectively, you know, having a home doesn't matter. Like the function of a home doesn't matter. It's just about owning something. Tenure. They've, mm. they've conflated holding the equity with having security. Right. And largely in the British system, certainly those two things do tend to coincide, but yeah. they don't have to. It is possible to not own a property and still be secure in it. Mm. It is possible to own a property and be incredibly insecure because you borrow, borrow far too much money and interest rates are going to go up or whatever. Yeah. Just like the idea that like having the equity is in itself the thing that leads to mental well-being is, is strange to me. Yeah. Well, here, here's the next problem. Um, Failing to meet individuals' aspirations. Survey findings commissioned from Opinium to support this research show an overwhelming majority, 82%, of under 35s in the UK that do not own a home wish to be homeowners. Again, I, I think they're missing the point. <laughs> like it's, if you're an under 35 and you want to be a homeowner, it's because you're tired of living like this. Mm. Right? Like, well, it's, it's, it's aspirational, but for what the aspiration actually is... Yeah, I mean, people want the people want the security. People want the sort of you know, it's a good investment historically. Mm -hmm. So we've just kind of bundled those two things together and said, you know, homeownership—that's the thing people want. Without sort of unpacking why, it's almost like through this logic, I could buy a house in a different country and be like, ah, well, I own a home. 
<laughs> yes, I, I own a, I own like, I own like a tumble down house in Detroit. My future is secure. Yeah, you get one of those you novelty can... gifts that's like, oh, I own a square foot of the moon, and you just be very happy with that. <laughs> I mean, it's like it's also like most people who say that, like, oh, if you can't afford a house in London, then why don't you go to like Derby and buy a house there, or why don't you go to like Liverpool and buy one of those like cheap houses? That yeah, wh- why don't you move to Glasgow? Because it's terrible. No one wants <laughs> to live here. It's awful. But I mean, it's I also like Glasgow. Why well, you, you're not liking it? No, I, I no. mean I've only been there for like 24 hours. But, I, <laughs> but, but that was that was a fucking great Damn, 24 you're like hours. One of, you're like one of those it. white reporters in the Middle East that like goes to like <laughs> Lebanon for a week. It's like these guys, uh, they're in that group, uh, Hezbollah. Uh, they were great. They were really good. They made some great. They made some. Uh, they made some great hummus. Mm. These, um, these very drunk guys asked <laughs> if my hair was real. <laughs> um, Did they think you were a black lady? Which, for the record. <laughs> Totally is. But like it, it is, it is like this. It is this really bizarre thing where people have genuinely said that, like, oh, why don't you just go to Derby and buy a house, mm. and you can rent it in Derby while you, and then you can use the rent that you get paid to like rent a flat in London, right? And it's like, okay, so you like want to replicate like a housing crisis in post-industrial, like a deindustrialized <laughs> areas where there's already like a fuck ton of poverty, um, and that's your solution. For- but that is kind of the solution with like. A lot of people who can't raise, who, can't, who can afford property but right. can't afford family homes in London yeah. end up moving out to like Bristol I mean, or York to, or Brighton. I mean, and now the people there are just complaining about the Londoners coming out and like pushing the house prices. I up. mean, I have like a very direct relationship with this because I live in Kent and basically that's, what hap- that's what's happening in Kent, right? Like the reason why, well, the reason why so many properties in places like Dartford, for example, are really expensive. Like Dartford is not a great town and like, you know, the high street is run down. It's very badly connected. Our um, houses are going for like anywhere between four hundred to like six hundred thousand pounds, and there are two reasons for that. The first is because of like the grammar school system and the fact that like the grammar school system is still based on how close you are to the school, as far as I know. And the other one is because obviously you've got this influx of Londoners coming in who are looking for commuter towns to basically like base in and like maybe have some kids in and stuff. And as a result, like you've now got people who have been born and raised in Dartford. Um, who now can't afford, who now have to like go further down into like places like Margate and into like other areas of Essex to be able to afford to buy property like near their family. I was in Medway the other week. Oh, Me- lucky you, can, you. you can still afford <laughs> some stuff in Medway, I think. Yeah, well, see, well, you know, for now anyway. <laughs> like, you know what? You know what this also says, right? Like these, pl- there's like yes, it will be cheaper if you go to Dartford, or you could even say it'll be cheaper if you get a you know weird grown up dorm, but. The idea that just because the service is necessarily worse the, or the price will stay down is a total fiction. Like, remember when tuition fees were introduced? They said, um, you know, what's going to happen is we're going to set a cap for tuition fees and then universities will be able to charge whatever they want. And so the best universities will charge more and the lower universities will charge less to attract more people. And what happened was that every single university in the UK, because they had a monopoly on universities, just all charged the maximum amount, all of them. There was. I was an education reporter when this happened, and there was a theory. I'm not. I'm not saying I buy it. I don't know, but there was a theory that the problem there was actually the cap, because if you say the maximum you can charge is nine thousand, then you kind of make it a target, and anyone who charges less than that is saying we are subpar. Yeah. Mm. Whereas if it was uncapped, you might have got like you know Oxbridge or whatever charging like fifteen thousand. But not everyone would necessarily try and match that because that would look stupid if, like, London Met was trying to charge fifteen. So I, I don't know if I buy that, yeah. but like, the cap might have been the problem there. Well, I think what I'm, 
I think the, the fee was the problem. But yeah, I mean, okay, yeah. yeah. The, the cap might have been a problem there. <laughs> there were, there problem. were a number of problems. <laughs> of which the cap was of one. Which one. Yeah. I think, well, if thing, and then, but we apply that, that logic here, right? Like, all we can say is, like, well, it's going to provide the thing that people want, which is a place to sleep or from which you can commute into your job as, like, WeWork's blogger. Um, and then it's, the price is just going to be high. The, pri- the, the price of every, it's just going to go up. It's not going to be affordable. It's just going to be worse, but still expensive. I actually don't think prices are going to keep going up. I mean, I have been like predicting this like Cassandra for like five years now, but now I I, re, I, I bought a new place in November, um, so that alone suggests to me that the market is about to crash because that's my <laughs> fucking luck. In, uh, but no, like at some point, the economy is going to run into trouble. At some point, interest rates are going to go up. You know, there are a number of things that could kind of hit the the London property market. And maybe maybe they will, maybe they won't. But I think the idea that everyone's got in the, and into their heads that, you know, it can only go in one direction is, is you know, that's how every bubble in history is. And also prices have kind of been drifting downwards recently. This not is like, very wrong. I have seen the big short two times. <laughs> and I know. That two like, times, one third of the way through. <laughs> <laughs> it, was, um, it was the so Margot Robbie scene, right? Yeah. 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 So yeah. I know that. Uh, I know. <laughs> I know that a bubble will only happen. Bubbles when, never burst. When Christian Bale, wearing a t-shirt and a pair of three-quarter length, starts listening to Slayer. Yeah. Um, that's when you know when shit's about to go down. So I should clarify, I don't mean I don't think the house price rates are going to go up forever. It's just the idea that somehow the fact that these are worse units is going to naturally make the price go down in relation to the rest of, the, of London's housing. I think that's fictional. There is also a thing where like service charges can fuck you. Oh, absolutely. So like, as I said, I bought this. I bought a new place last year, and I, when I was looking, I found something that looked really, it looked really quite good. It was like two bedrooms, in just on the edge of Zone One, in my price range. It's like, how the hell is this possible? And I said, rang the estate agent to kind of go set up a viewing, and they took all my details. They got all the way through the spiel before she said, "Oh, by the way, the service charge in this place is uh, five hundred pounds a month. I hope that's not a problem." And it's like, of course it's a fucking problem. I'm not, it's just, no, I'm not interested in this anymore. And it's just, you know, this is a a, a bunch of money you have to pay that will depress the price of your property because the next person down the line is going to look, I'm not going to pay that. And these are the, these are, we don't know necessarily what these companies have done, but these are the, presumably the ways in which these, these companies can, these these co-living spaces can basically just systematically fuck everyone living in them. So I'll say the report, um, calls for uh, the co-working, co-living housing for private buyers rather than rent, specifically because like the unlike previous interventions like right to buy and the tiny home movement, which have not solved the housing crisis, surprisingly, <laughs> the report calls um, suggests that these would replicate successes such as garden squares in Georgian and Victorian London or the Barbican that opened in 1969, which included things like private gardens, art galleries and restaurants. <laughs> These things are the same. I've I've got nothing. No, I've just got I, fucking nothing. It's right? so moronic. <laughs> but I mean, I, I, Riley, are you suggesting that the services that they plan to provide, which will presumably include like free beer and all of the same WeWork stuff, won't actually be free? I mean, I think you might have to pay for it through a service charge. Uh. And, but hey, you also, if you like, go on a if you go on a date or decide to start a family, then you know everyone goes on a date and everyone starts a family. It's all, I think, a way of socializing people into a cult 
And they're saying it's just like garden squares. I, I think you're. I, I think you're wrong. I don't think it is a cult. I think we're approaching the true future of property, which is the consent wristband polycule. <laughs> yes. Welcome to. You know, rent is very expensive. Welcome to our polycule. A thing that actually <laughs> happened to a friend of mine. I knew if I came on this podcast again, there would be a word I just didn't understand. Alice, I've you want to help? Not a clue <laughs> what you people not, are talking no. about now. <laughs> I'm not going to Google it. I'm not going to make that mistake again. <laughs> but, I mean, at, at, at time of, of time of recording this, my Twitter name is Polycule Toynbee, but I still don't want to explain it. <laughs> Never. Um, so, um, here are some of the of the benefits of the of the of the co living spaces. Financial savings for households. Oh no! Oh, I sorry. I just, I'm sorry to interrupt. I just googled it. Oh my god! <laughs> really? Yeah, poly. Really? Yeah, it's so you 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 can get a mortgage, or your whole polycule yeah. can get a mortgage. I, I'm enjoying being. I guess, the, I, I, I guess that is true socialism, right? Yeah, I'm, John, a polycule is a polyamorous relationship uh, of multiple people. So why did he scream like that? Like, what's the deep? I mean, that's not like. I'm just imagining. I'm just, I'm just imagining like going into like fucking. I don't know, like. We metro, work. metro bank and being like yeah all five of us want to get one mortgage because we're the same person <laughs> and like having to explain to like some fucking like 21 year old guy <laughs> what a polyamorous relationship is <laughs> okay so the benefits are financial savings for households to the quote-unquote sharing economy a co-living space may be conducive to the development of a sharing economy where individuals rent stroke borrow items uh, such as cars power tools bicycles cooking equipment and crockery we're the sort of like sex toys. I hope you didn't like owning your own plates because you don't need to anymore. You don't need to own ever anything. You can just be a, a a homo economicus bouncing around the world trying to always maximize stuff and borrow things. You don't even. It's like you want the security of owning a home. No, you don't have that. You you own like sort of a dorm room because you bought equity in this company and you have to pay a huge service fee. Do you like owning plates? You don't anymore. You don't even own your plates. Very frustrating that they're present presenting this as a solution when we could just board, build more social housing. I'm just sorry. I'm just so depressed. I can't think of anything to fucking say. What if you're in anymore. one of these places and like someone steal? Just like if someone wants to fuck with you, well, it's like steal. That's a polycule. Like <laughs> <laughs> but they just like steal all your spoons or something. <laughs> Or, or leaves chicken skin all over the floor. No, no, because like I can understand that's like a real act of just like either carelessness or aggression. Like that's a guy who's just like I don't give a fuck about any of you, right? Mm. But like people who, because he did, that guy was just an idiot. Like he didn't really what he did. Like you know he um he wasn't malevolent. He really, he, he didn't really want attention. He, he was just a guy. He was just that. a guy who did his own shit and like pissed everyone else off in the process. But there are guys. There are people like at, in uni dorms who really do want attention and they will do like anything even the dumbest or like dumbest things to do that right and it just yeah. seems that okay i can live with this for like you know six weeks at a time three times a year before i move into like a you know a house a student house or something but once you like buy one of these like fucking rooms like you're locked in it right yeah. also one thing to bear in mind is that you know it's probably going to be very difficult to convince people to buy your room <laughs> <laughs> especially if they have to deal with like travis who's appointed himself the ra and who's 55 right, and right. still has like that stupid scarface poster on because his wall when you when you buy a Do they house, have to join yeah. the polycule <laughs> I, mean, or, I mean that's really the only way that this would work right like mm. when you buy a house like 
you're looking at, I don't know, like the safety of the area maybe, or you're looking at, you know, you might ask one or two questions about neighbors, but like, it's not really going to be super, super pressing. But owning like a room in one of these big kind of co-living spaces is like the big question really is like, well, what's everyone else in these spaces like, right? You know, and if they're terrible and also because you have to share a kitchen with them, right? That's the thing. You have to share all these things. So if you're living in a really shit polygon, <laughs> if, really li- if you're living in like a, in one of these really shit buildings, or like you, you're trying to sell a really nice, ro- like a really nice and clean room, but all your roommates are fucking assholes, then I don't know. Like you're kind of just stuck with it, right? Oh, okay. So even then, like that kind of aspiration of like, oh, by buying a room you get more security, like that doesn't really exist. Take that again. Supporting this, societal trends and technological changes also make smaller private spaces more livable than in the past. For example, the growth of online streaming of music and movies has eliminated the need for CD and DVD collections. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, give up your house. You don't need it. You don't need a house. You don't have a DVD collection anymore. If you want to watch Running Scared, you can just look at it on your phone in your sleeping pod that you have to share that you share with Travis because he has a night job and you have a day job. That's the logical conclusion of this is that you can never have anything you don't literally need to function in the economy. You just you just get the things that you have a bare need for and all of the luxuries like knowing that your plates are where you left them in the morning are just something that we can't afford anymore. So all this stuff about like you don't need space for books or whatever it is anymore, all that stuff also applies to older people who already own property and they also don't need space for, you know, their children anymore or whatever. (laughs) But this logic is never rolled out there. No. Like, it's interesting. Because it turns out that actually owning a home is not just about the economics, it is also about it being your home. But for some reason, we treat the generations differently on this one. Well, in fact, I'll, I'll, I'll segue into the next point here, where he says, the growing proportion of childless households has increased the share of individuals with mod- relatively modest space requirements, as though that's the causal direction. <laughs> it's like, I don't, have, I don't have a kid, so I don't need a high income, as though people are just... Well, I don't have a kid somehow, so I guess I don't need to have enough money or space to have a kid. Amazing. Thank you, Scott Korf. Incredible reasoning. This is genuinely the thing I sort of assume that somewhere down the line would start to create pressure to actually solve the housing crisis. The fact that, you know, it's, it's all very well, like, you know, making 25-year-olds live in squalor. Or tiny rooms or whatever it is, you know, because, you know, you people are animals. They used to be one. They know what it's like. (laughs) But like when you're talking about people in their sort of 30s and beyond who want to settle down, have kids or whatever, like the insecurity of moving every six months is kind of it's annoying, but it's fine when you're 25. Once you've got kids in the equation, that's going to fuck up someone's life. You're saying this is accelerationism, Dan. (laughs) (laughs) when the no that's the the entire working class has to join together in a polycule and only then will the revolution occur just like lenin wanted okay um so uh john thank you very much for joining us for this segment thank you it's nice to come back and learn some new words (laughs) (laughs) all right i'm looking forward to joining your polycule soon we're going to take a break and then we're going to be right back with a little bit more see ya Welcome back to the second half of this uh, late night style TF recording. Dang. Damn. <laughs> Damn, we tired in here. Sleep deprived energy. Hell yeah. 
I have like an hour and a half like journey, train journey to go back after this. You people better be thankful to Hussein. I, I, I'm on a strong Felix thing of being like, it's like nine in the evening. <laughs> what, did you just wake up or something? Yeah. Yeah, yeah very good. Very good job. Uh, how, how, how much do we like public transit? Um... I don't mean you have to, don't have to love being on it, but how much do you like it being there? I like it as a principle. You know, I know I notice the absence of public transport when I'm in Kent, where there is none, because the only bus service that we had was is a private bus service, which now charges six pounds seventy for one ride. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. No. Yeah. No. Unless you're an old person, then you can get like a card, which is like fifty pounds a month. No. <laughs> For one ride. For one ride. So if I want to go to like the mall, which is a Blue Water a shopping center, mm. it costs me six seventy one way and six seventy back, and you never know when the bus is going to come. Astounding! Amazing. This is the private. This is the private uh, industry I at feel, work. I, f- I feel like that was the that was the place that made me a socialist. <laughs> um, waiting, waiting for the waiting for the bus, and then getting on, and then giving them a five pound note, only for them to say that number one. Um, you need uh, more money, and number two, we need it all in change. <laughs> well, um, City Mapper. Uh, if I let let's start with with City Mapper's top tweet right now. City Mapper, if you're not familiar, which I'm sure you all are, is basically like a, a Google Maps with more AI and some cute some cutesy shit. Like, yeah, if you traveled by catapult, it would take you uh, five seconds to reach your destination. What I've learned is that any time a tech company does any cutesy shit, they're trying to do something unbelievably sinister. Um, and this is no exception. So here is City Mapper's uh, top post, which is just uh, a, a, a clip of, of a clipping here where a, a spokesperson for Transport for London has said, we are aware of City Mapper's plans to introduce a subscription model for transit, bundling together a number of transport options in London and welcome products which promote public transport, walking, and cycling. The spokesperson then added. Damn, love be people being aware of me. <laughs> and so what they've basically done is they've launched this thing called the Travel Pass for London, which is in a ver- very fun, and this is very cool and good for all of us and will be forever, it's about five pounds cheaper than Oyster. I don't see any ulterior motive there. Fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> no, they're just being cool. Mm. <laughs> Come on. Um, so it's basically, it's a subscription service, and it's, yeah, it's about five quid less than Oyster. Um, and, quote, the idea here is to make public trans- transport effortless. The way our app makes it easy to plan, we want to make it easy to pay. Because the Oyster tap card, for which you can now just use your phone or bank card, has historically been very fucking complicated. <laughs> uh so I'm, I'm going to throw to you guys slightly while I look for the, the next the next uh, thing. Well, I, I had one from literally the last segment that I've been sitting on for 20 minutes, and that's that the I've been coming up with EU negotiator names and Polycule Corfball is definitely one of them. <laughs> so they're aiming also to integrate, like, using your Oyster card with um, Uber, so it comes with two taxi journeys um, a month. Um, so the Santander bikes that you sort of have around, probably some of those scooters that people rent, but that keep like killing everyone who rides them. Um, My jewel subscription. Yeah. Hussein's <laughs> jewel. Uh, and 
the and they're saying we're trying to create a vision of the future where mobility is something where, as a user, you care about getting from point A to point B. Ah, oh, yes. Famously, mobility has lacked that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> mobility has never really been about point A to point B. It's always been about sort of wandering aimlessly. It's about the journey you make on the way, right? Yeah, yeah. it's always been about the friends you make along the way. It's yeah. never just been about point A to point B. City Mapper is finally changing that. My commute to work is like a coming of age story every day. <laughs> <laughs> I don't like that Joseph Campbell has in charge of uh, the London's transport network. <laughs> I feel like I'm constantly like, yes, I, I'm crossing the threshold. I'm meeting the wise teacher. He's giving me a magical artifact, but now he's going away. And that wise teacher is actually just a guy at Oxford Circus tube station with the mohawk. <laughs> oh, goodness. It's a cool guy. Um, so he says, we want to make it so it's a bit like a utility. You can access whatever comes along. Now, look, I, the, on this show, we're always in danger of like being kind of Luddites, right? Where it's like, ah, this progress is technological process. Is, progress is bad. This is fine. <laughs> An integrated way to pay for public transit the only really problem being paying for, let's make it free, but the unintegrated way to like access public transit is perfectly okay. That's great. Uh, Alice, I think you sort of hit on why this is particularly sinister, however. Yeah, well, I mean, apart from everything else, uh, casting it as being like a utility, except in any of the ways that matter, is the one that struck me. <laughs> yeah, because it's... um. What they're, is they, they just want to sort of take control of everything, undercut the pricing, mm -hmm. and then they're going to say, but don't worry, we're not going to leverage any kind of, we're not going to leverage anything. We're undercutting the pricing just because we're cool. Yeah, we're it's, cool it, guys. it's cool and we'll put like fun little loading messages in. We're definitely not going to sequence your DNA off of the card or anything. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's fine. You're not going to be turned into some kind of uh, horrifying part horse, part human hybrid that will then be sent to work in our like uh, our weird data mines. It's fine. It's not dystopian at all. No, don't look at it. Um, <laughs> right? and Because it's, it's venture capital is paying for all this, by the way. Mm. Venture capital is funding City Mapper offering everyone a paltry discount and like a cutesy little cartoon um, for cheaper, temporarily, presumably cheaper travel in London. VCs love being nice. Like they, yeah, they're just nice guys. Yeah, VCs are, are traditionally nice people who don't demand unlimited return from all their products. Um, that's like, like, that's kind of what a, a kind of theme. And I think we can carry that across from the, the shit with the housing, right? Mm. When, when you sign yourself over in whatever way, whether you've decided you're not going to own a house or plates anymore, or you're like, you're going to, to give, up, give up public control of your like, transit payments infrastructure, what you get back every time is so fucking paltry. And infantilizing and cutesy. Like, oh, you can just live in a student thing forever. Or, oh, if you, if you took a catapult to your destination, you would get there faster. It's just, d does no one else feel as patronized by this as I do? I mean, that's kind of why I think we have a show. Mm. <laughs> I, th um, I thought it was just an extension of the polycule, to be honest. <laughs> And so uh, this guy, this guy, Asmat Youssef, goes on. Right now, we see a real proliferation of all these private transport players in all these different modes and more complexity. We want to see if we can abstract it away and say to the user, we'll take care of the hassle for you. Any other services that come along can be added over time. If we have scooters coming into the city, we'll figure out a way we can provide you to access with that as well, at which they then refer to as the micro market. Mm. Yeah. 
Do you remember the uh, the comic that's like the sort of creepy vampiric dude banging on the window with a huge grin? Like, dude, let me in. Fascism's a legitimate political ideology. <laughs> that's how I feel when you say, uh, we'll take care of this. <laughs> I'm enjoying like my micro mobility card for my micro house. Or my micro- <laughs> yeah, that's incredible. Right? It's so it like you used to own a house and you used to own a car. Like that used to be possible. And now it's like, well, no one has any money. So we all have to you know, either be employed at we have to be employed as rideshare drivers so that we can pay for our um our shared tiny home in Dartford where we have to like step over chicken skin because we haven't bought the super deluxe cleaning package. Right. And it just it just seems like such a raw deal. Mm. Once more providers are signed up and a wider area of London included, Yusuf says that personalized plans can be offered. Take the bus to a station, then travel in the tube from Zone 4 into Zone 2 every day. The City Mapper app will build a package specific to you based on your travel. What will a it new- do with that package? Like, with that data that just has my entire commute on it? Uh, nothing. What it'll do is, if, like, a, um, if like, a, like an automatic rollerblade startup comes into town, then it might offer you a discount on a subscription because it knows that you are a cartoon character and you can ride <laughs> rocket skates. Amazing. Awesome. I love it. I mean, what what is it positing that like Google Maps doesn't? So if I travel from zone four to like zone two or one, which is really just like my commute for most of my life, right? Mm-hmm. Regardless of what app I use, I know that I have to take a bus or maybe two buses and a tube, right? Yeah, but you shouldn't have to um, know things. You just let them worry about it. Right, right, right. Um, but even just like, because every time you use Google Maps, for example, like, especially if you use an Android phone like I do, like it collects your data, right? Mm. So every month mm. I get an email saying, these are all your travels for the month. And I'm like to Google, that's very weird of you to do, but fine. <laughs> like, no, it's, it's like a, it's like off, a stalker. Yeah. It's like a stalker writing you a letter about all the all the outfits that they saw I you mean, try on I before mean, you left actually, the house. The, the emails are very much like that. It's kind of like, oh, you went to this, re- you went to this nice cafe do you want to review it it's like no i don't want to review it because i only went in there for like two minutes to take a shit to take a poop (laughs) right um it was a good poo or like oh you've been to this building many times so yeah because it's like my office man like i don't you know so but basically what i'm saying is that like this obviously this isn't just a mobility app but the way that they've marketed it where it's like okay we can tailor your journey or we can tailor your your ride um, if you're traveling from like particular zones, it's like, well, there aren't like, this isn't a city full of travel options. Like you really only have, you only really have like maybe two options to get to like the places you usually go to. Right. So everything else is just like, oh, while you're like waiting for your delayed train, why don't you go to this coffee shop? Or why don't you um, review the shit you just took? Right. Why don't you just review the shit you just took? Look at this. Look at the Bristol stool chart. Yeah. Why not? You know, while you're stuck on the central line, why don't you go on Amazon? Like, really, isn't that like all they're saying? Well, this is pre. This prefigures what they actually do say. Oh, okay. Amazing. Um, uh, Let's say a scooter service comes to town. It's coming to your borough, and you know we have a long walk to the station. You're a good target for us to advertise that to you. Accessing City Mapper's subscribers could get, give new startups a built-in audience. We have the data. We can provide a good market entry strategy for new players. Jeez. Great. Okay. Oh yeah. That's damn. I love. I love new players. I love. I love. It's like. And if you don't like them, if you criticize Amazon, when you're just a player hater. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna well, start a scooter startup just to like scrape all of this data, just for like <laughs> crime reasons. <laughs> And it's I, I, I'm I, they know that I'm fucking someone at the other hab unit 
the other full service hab unit. Yeah. And so like they they're also aware that I only last like five minutes. And so they like send a scooter to me and it just can idle outside. And then like another additional 30 seconds for apologies. And then off it goes again. Yeah, it'll, it'll be like screen all- time, but for how long it takes you to bust. I love I love the fact that this is what we get what we have. They, there's just more surveying. It's like, yeah, survey. We work. It's sur- it's surveying you while you're at work. Then, like the collective is surveying you while you're at home. And guess what? While you're in between the two, City Mapper is making sure you don't get unlooked at for a second. Well, like you mentioned, John McDonald back in the mists of time of the other segment, and <laughs> like, yeah, you're totally right. There's just it's purely an aesthetic distinction in that. All of the people who think this is great would find it horrifying if you recast it in everyone has to wear a blue jumpsuit and rubber boots all the time. Oh, yeah. It's like, this isn't 1984 because there's like four big brothers, basically. 1984 is booting off conservatives for making fake accounts on Twitter, not tracking your every move and then basing your commercial decisions on that. (laughs) Another idea being considered is a reward system. Damn. Mm. I love I love being a hamster in a maze that gets like cheese if I take the right route. <laughs> Letting subscribers earn points free for free city mapper ride travel or other transport tickets. The points could reward active or sustainable transport choices. So yeah, that's it. I can afford to get to work if I make sure that I take three hours and walk because I know that City Mapper will reward me for my decision. Yeah. They'll give you like a free they'll give you like a free Uber ride in a one of those hybrid Toyotas, which is what classifies as an economical way of transport. Yeah, mm. absolutely. Right. It's and it that's the and this is something John pointed out as well. It's never it is it is never the the wealthy who have to care about about economizing in this way. No, every and if the city mapper thing, they'll be oh well, well we've determined that you like limousines and you like scooters, and so this limousine is going to probably run over this scooter or whatever. But also, the person who lives in a collective house has to think about okay, I can, I can have five extra pounds this month if I economize and walk to work today. Then city mapper will give me a little treat, give me a little reward, and then I can, I can buy myself like an extra sleeve of cookies, and I hope the plate is around that I get to use. Yeah. You know what is, I can't remember who, who had, whose expression was um, for this. It was market Stalinism. Oh, market I don't know. That's good though. It's like, um, yeah. it's kind of, of course, Zizek. of course I know who it was. It was Mark Fisher. Oh, it was, it was my, it was my man is Mark Fisher. This idea where it was like, and this is exactly what this is. You're living more and more like a, like a sort of a Soviet subject in the 1970s, but like with less autonomy. Damn, we live in a society. <laughs> like, like, at least with a Soviet society, it's like you're notionally in control of stuff and you do have pretty good health care. Well, like, like in this- do you remember during the Olympics, which was like peak liberal um, futurtopia, they had the special lanes for like luxury cars? That was absolutely, that was literally a Stalin thing. So, yeah, perfect. Yeah. And that, that's what, that's welcome to this. We're being watched constantly because we, because- to provide sort of well-funded public transit that was just public, that was all publicly owned and integrated properly, um, to, to, to make the public investment for that to happen would be Stalinism. To build enough social housing so that people don't have to live in like weird dorms or have enough workspace so that they don't have to live to work in WeWorks and be watched all the time, that's Stalinism. None of that other stuff, that's not Stalinism because it doesn't matter that it's the more or less a similar result not, for a day-to-day basis. It's not basis. Stalinism, it's like reward schemes, right? I mean, this is essentially what the Adam Smith Institute argument is, right? 
Mm. It's very much like, you know, number one, it's it's better it's better in private hands because you know I've got you know their their argument for a long time um, was about government surveillance and how like that was the biggest problem, right? Like government surveillance, surveillance, gathering your data, that was the biggest problem. Um, now we're not. Now it's not so much about. Now it's kind of like when you bring this up, they just kind of scream. They scream at you to Google Venezuela. Um, something that something that our good friend of the show, um, Francis Foster, actually told me to do. <laughs> but I keep getting furries, man. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe I'm googling the wrong stuff. I keep I keep going on Booble, the porn search engine, and searching Venezuela. <laughs> um, yeah, but now you know. Now the city mapper says, "Would you like to go to Venezuela? You can use your our one pass to right. go to Venezuela." Now their thing is, and the argument is that oh, like in Venezuela, you don't have WeWorks, and in Venezuela, you don't have Ubers. So like, society is inherently better. Because we have all these things. And like, if you have to give up some of your data to have like a more streamlined life, then go for it. And that's why like so many of these guys are really proud about like posting. I don't know. The big thing now is like posting like your sleep chart online. So I'm seeing loads of people who are posting how good quality their sleep has been because they've understood that sleep is in cycles. So they're like, oh, I've had four hours of sleep tonight, uh, last night, because I've been doing so much business, but I slept at optimal hours. So even though I've got four hours of sleep, I'm like at 100%. And if you do this and you drink like a kale smoothie in the morning, then you can also have a great fucking day. And you fist bump everyone you see. Right, right. And you like, yeah. Um, you fist bump everyone on like that early morning night bus to go to your job mopping floors. And then it doesn't matter that your sister died while you were working on a slide deck about like togetherness uh, yeah. for your presentation for your shitty dorm. Because you'll understand that the resilience that they didn't have, you do have now. And now you've inherited her money and you can afford to move up to the place where you get your own bathroom. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I mean, this is like the most confusing thing, but also like the most typical thing of these guys. Like they never really cared about surveillance. They never really cared about like owning data. And like there's an argument for that, which is if you're a rich person, then like your data is effectively harmless, right? Because you're just doing being rich people stuff. And like the thing that you do with rich people's data is that you advertise things to them. You're like, oh, um, you know, you've hung out in Kensington. So maybe you'd fancy a holiday to Saudi Arabia. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you can do anything <laughs> but if you're like you're a maybe you'd fancy a holiday to a certain uh island <laughs> but you know like you know when you're when you're a poor person and we've done we've talked about this on the show a lot and it's basically just a theme like your data becomes really valuable to um employers who uh have to pay private insurance for example mm. or they have to uh you know or the dwp right you know, yeah. or, you know, the, th the thing where, like, now when the home office is asking employers whether people are coming into work or, like, coming into work on time, and if they're not, then they dock their, like, welfare money and stuff. You know, so if you're a poor person, you're intrinsically going to give, you know, the card is supposed to be designed for people who could really benefit from an Uber ride, but really what it is is just, like, your income bracket depend. you know, it, your income bracket decides how valuable your data is. Mm. Um yeah. Couldn't you imagine like a situation where CityMapper X DWP, they say, well, we're going to sanction you unless you take an uh, environmentally sustainable uh, route to, the, to your work capability assessment. I've just had a horrifying vision of the future, which is that we ratchet it up one step further and we finally get the right wing death squad. And as I'm being pushed out of the helicopter, I'm just on my phone and the notification is like, if you took a catapult to the ground, it would take you... <laughs> If you took a helicopter ride, you'd make the country freer. Um, so here's how the here's how the article concludes. Uh, this is the first step towards mobility as a service, but it's a long road until all of London is covered. Uh, quote: 
The dream we wanted to build and create is we've got you covered. You subscribe, and we're going to take care of you. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's it. It's, it's the, that's the question. Who do you want taking care of you? Do you want? I mean, the you want someone- I am in a polycule <laughs> with City Mapper and all of the different public transit services. <laughs> the next, the next, like the next extension of this is really healthcare, isn't it? Mm-hmm. It's like you know, oh, the NHS is failing you, and. We're gonna pre- we're gonna and actually you know what there are systems there are like private insurance systems that are like being set up in this vein which is that we know that private health insurance is really expensive so what we're gonna do is like introduce like a card based system where um you know we work with different private health insurers to get you the most competitive deal and you know so like my one of my relatives is on this right and she keeps saying that oh you should sign up to this where you basically pay twenty pounds a month and you get access to like all these different private health insurance, depending on what type of illness you get. So effectively like this competitive market um, designed to, you know, pretty much undercut the NHS. Uh, and it sort of feels like the public transport, like if this is being done with public transport, where like the po- where what they're positing is we're producing a system that uh, gets you better value for money and don't worry about all the data we're collecting on you. And don't worry about how we're giving you the value for money. Right, like, Mm -hmm. isn't health, like, really, like, the big moneymaker in all this? I remember, like, speaking to this company um, for a Mel story, which was all about, um, it was all about weed. and It was all about uh, guys who were playing, uh, buying and selling weed stocks. But one of the people I spoke to was this, they set up up as, like, the first hedge fund for weed stock. And what they were saying was that, this big boom at the moment of people being interested in like the mechanics of growing weed isn't really important to us. The thing that's really important to us is the um, how we can quote unquote like work with the public sector to provide basically what is now like CBD based medicine. And I'm seeing that like, you know, we're seeing that with like this growth of CBD oils and, um, you know, types of, you know, medicines and you know, all that stuff. And like, this is, yeah, mm. this is just like one example of these companies who... Um, are now seeing that with you know NHS like severely underfunded, they can kind of swoop in. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't know where I was going with well, that. I think it's that it is that if there isn't an efficient public service, it's made inefficient because of like chronic underfunding. And whether that is just the fact that we're not investing in public transit adequately or not investing in the NHS adequately, yeah. is that like all of these private companies when they step in to fill the gap, it's they initially say, oh, don't worry, you're still being taken care of. You know, it's just the difference is who's taking care of you and what they're interested in and why. So like the NHS, they don't care how you fucking get there. They're just there to they're just there to take care of you. But like um some, you know, some some strange CBD oil company that's going to like cover you in an essential oil, like <laughs> they kind of want to be able to sell your waist size to, you know, Bonobo's pants or whatever. Like it's 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 the same. It's the same, or to be honest, based on the Dart for Bus service, it's yeah. the same or a worse service, and it's just more expensive. But it's the free market, and so it's somehow better. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Anyway, Good. I think you subscribe. We're going to take care of you. I'd rather subscribe to uh, something I can vote for rather than you know, City Mappers Universal fucking market Stalinist Big Brother ass that service. That's why we are now pro polycule. Absolutely. <laughs> We're pro polycule. That's the official TF stance. Mm-hmm. It's also very late, and I think it's time for us all to go to bed. I've got to catch that Dartford bus. <laughs> we <laughs> all got, we've got to catch that great Dartford bus <laughs> in the sky. <laughs> That's right, everyone. We're finally ending it all. <laughs> um, all right. Uh, Alice, thanks for hopping on the call today. Oh, thank you.
and everyone, thanks for listening. I'm too tired to do the plugs. You know what the fuck they are. Thank you.